Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, September 24th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. President Trump once again refusing to accept the results of the upcoming election and a peaceful transfer of power if he loses. Demonstrations and unrest breaking out overnight after a Kentucky grand jury declines to press charges against the officers accused of killing Breonna Taylor. With more than 200,000 people here in the U.S. now dead from COVID-19, a top expert debates whether she can continue to work with the White House. We begin with this. With voting already underway in some states, President Trump is declining to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he doesn't win the upcoming election against Joe Biden. Andrea Linares has more on the alarming words coming from the White House. The president of the United States refusing to say outright that he would commit to a peaceful transfer of power. The stunning exchange coming from the White House podium. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots and the ballots are a disaster. When asked again, President Trump made baseless claims of election fraud. Get rid of the ballots and you'll have a very trans we'll have a very peaceful there won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it. And you know who knows it better than anybody else? The Democrats know it better than anybody else. It's highly unusual that a sitting president would express less than complete confidence in the American democracy's electoral process. But four years ago, Mr. Trump also declined to commit to honoring the election results if his Democratic opponent, Hillary Clinton, won. And in this year's campaign, Mr. Trump has suggested that his defeat is possible only if the election is, quote, rigged. The election is rigged. The Democrats are trying to rig this election. In a tweet, Republican Senator Mitt Romney expressed alarm over the president's comments, writing, the peaceful transfer of power is fundamental to democracy and adding, any suggestion that a president might not respect this constitutional guarantee is both unthinkable and unacceptable. What differentiates us from virtually all other countries throughout history is the peaceful transfer of power. And for him to say what he did last night is uh, chilling, is, is too mild a word. According to a report from The Atlantic, the Trump campaign is weighing a post-election strategy that would bypass the results in key swing states by installing electors who would vote for the president in the Electoral College even if he loses. The plan would focus on swing states with Republican-led legislatures, including Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Federal law requires states to appoint their slate of electors on election day. State legislatures that attempt to appoint their own slate of Trump electors after the election would likely spur court challenges. Congress could ultimately decide which electors to count from a state. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. Now, six out of 10 Americans say the president we elect this coming November should be the one to fill the Supreme Court vacancy. That's the latest from a CNN poll. The last time a seat was open in that court during an election year was four years ago, and back then opinions broke the other way, with 57% saying that President Obama should have been the one to fill that vacancy. 
Now, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg will lie in repose at the Supreme Court for a second day today. President Trump and the First Lady paying their respects this morning, but the president facing a backlash from those honoring Ginsburg. Edwin Pitti is live in D.C. with more. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. Hundreds of people continue to walk in front of the casket of Justice Ginsburg to pay their respect. So did President Trump this morning with the First Lady Melania Trump, and they were welcomed on one side of the Supreme Court by the chantings of dozens of people screaming, vote him out. And on the other side, many people protesting because of the conclusion of the Breonna Taylor's case. The President Trump had planned a 20-minute visit, but he only stand in front of the casket for about two minutes or so, and then he left back to the White House. But it is impossible to not comment on the on what the President Trump said yesterday at the White House, not being able to compromise to transfer the power peacefully. One of those reacting today, the President of the House, Nancy Pelosi, a couple of minutes ago during a press conference. Take a listen. The President of the United States would place in doubt the idea of the peaceful transfer of power is, uh, well, it's no surprise, uh, again, because the President has been contemptible of science and governance. And so you see 200,000 people have died. But I, I, um, I have confidence in the American people. And I have confidence that, that he won't get away with saying, for example, I won with the popular, the vote on the ground, the vote in the mail doesn't count, and the rest of that. What am I missing here about people not, just not saying, hold it, calm down, Mr. President. Carolina, those reactions are also coming from the Republican leadership in Capitol Hill, one of them from the leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, who tweeted the following. He said, the winner of the November 3rd election will be inaugurated on January 20th. There will be an orderly transition, just as there has been every four years since 1792. Also, Congresswoman Liz Cheney from Wyoming and the third-ranking Republican in the House tweeted, the peaceful transfer of power is enriched in our Constitution and fundamentals to the survival of our republic. America's leaders succeed on, um, swear an oath to the Constitution, and we will uphold that oath. Of course, many reactions keep coming, but talking about what's going on here today, um, Justice Ginsburg will remain here on the Supreme Court until 10 p.m., and then tomorrow she will be transferred to Capitol Hill for a private ceremony, and then next week she will finally rest right beside her husband on a private, after a private ceremony on the National Arlington Cemetery. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Edwin Pitti, for that live report from Washington, D.C. On Wednesday in Kentucky, a grand jury declined to press charges against the officers involved in the killing of Brianna Taylor, igniting major controversy. Eight hours later, two Metro Police officers were shot in downtown Louisville. One officer was rushed to surgery and the other is alert and in stable condition. A suspect was taken into custody, but police did not identify that individual. Meanwhile, outrage and unrest, not just in Kentucky, but across the country. Rafael Rodriguez has more details on the many demonstrations taking place and how major sports figures are now speaking out. And 150 days and nothing changed. They're rising up and saying her name in protests across the country. 
in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and beyond. In Portland, things got violent when marchers threw firebombs at police. Upset doesn't begin to describe the feelings of many Americans, many black Americans in particular, who feel that the officers who killed her should have been charged with murder. The one officer facing any charges at all is only in trouble because he's accused of firing bullets into apartments of neighbors who were white. This was expected by many people and, and many people are sort of really sitting with the fact that the system that killed Breonna Taylor can never deliver justice for her killing. From LeBron James in the NBA writing, we want justice for Breonna, yet justice was met for her neighbor's apartment walls and not her beautiful life. From former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, the white supremacist institution of policing that stole Breonna Taylor's life from us must be abolished for the safety and well-being of our people. But there are also voices who are speaking out for the police, including a former head of Louisville's NAACP. When they entered the apartment, they were shot at. One of them was hit. They had the right and were justified in defending themselves. As I've said many times before, it's mm -hmm. unfortunate that this young lady was killed. And I grieve for her. Many of us in this community grieve for her. There's a feeling in some corners of the country that justice continues to fail black families when it comes to police interactions. With black men walking or running away as they're being gunned down by white police officers. But Taylor's death underlined that black women are dying this way too. She was an EMT. She made her life saving lives. Like black men, black women are also at a higher risk of dying at the hands of police, about 1.4 times more likely than white women. Taylor's family says if you believe that justice is being served in this case, imagine if this daughter was yours. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. A heated exchange on Capitol Hill on Wednesday. Dr. Fauci responding to Senator Ron Paul's statements. This as the president promises to strike down any additional safety guidelines the FDA might impose for vaccine developers. Lorraine Cáceres has the latest. On Wednesday, a heated exchange on Capitol Hill. Senator Ram Paul of Kentucky mocking Dr. Anthony Fauci's advocacy for social distancing they're no longer having the pandemic because they have enough immunity in New York City to actually stop. I challenge that, uh, Senator, afraid, because I, I want to, please, sir, I would like to be able to do this because this happens with Senator Rand all the time. You were not listening to what the director of the CDC said, that in New York, it's about 22%. If you believe 22% is herd immunity, I believe you're alone in that. Dr. Fauci and other health experts testifying before a Senate committee on the Trump administration's coronavirus response. The director of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, stating a study done by the agency shows the majority of the population is still susceptible to COVID-19. Most Americans have not been infected with the virus and are still vulnerable to the infection, serious illness and death. A majority of our nation um, more than 90% of the population remains susceptible. 
That means 295 million Americans could still get infected. Right now, the U.S. is averaging more than 43,000 new cases per day, about double what the country was averaging back in June when lockdown restrictions were easing. At least 22 states, mostly across the U.S. heartland and Midwest, are reporting an increase in cases compared to last week. In Missouri, the governor announcing he and his wife have tested positive. No symptoms uh, of any kind. As vaccine trials continue around the world, the president reacting to the FDA possibly tightening safety guidelines for vaccine developers. That has to be approved by the White House. We may or may not approve it. Uh, that sounds like a political move. Dr. Hahn from the FDA making his position very clear. Our thorough review processes and science will guide our decisions. FDA will not permit any pressure from anyone to change that. Meanwhile, reports are emerging that Dr. Deborah Burks of the White House Coronavirus Task Force is distressed, questioning her role, describing the situation inside the nation's response to the coronavirus as nightmarish. And sources are telling CNN that Dr. Burks is unlikely to resign, uh, describing her as, quote, a good soldier, but uh, reporting that she is a little bit concerned that the newest member of the coronavirus task force, Dr. Atlas, might be having a negative influence on the president, possibly feeding him uh, misinformation. Back to you, Carolina. As the pandemic continues to impact the economy, restaurants across the U.S. are in special danger. Blanca Rosa Vilches takes a closer look from New Jersey. They call themselves the survivors. The restaurants that remain open after everything else was closing around them. When we walk by, we know that it was closed and everything. I was like, oh, look, that one, it's closed. It, it went away. Uh, thank God ours, we're okay. We're working hard to keep it. With two small children to take care of, they sold one of the two restaurants and also let go half of the personnel. We survived by working, by our family together, keep going, uh, working in family. They're my family to here, my sister and my uncle, they're in the kitchen. We help each other to survive. 163,000 businesses have closed around the country, 60% of them for good. More than 32,000 restaurants among them and 6,400 bars. Half of them won't reopen. The good news, however, about this report is that it also shows that businessmen are readapting to this new reality. In North Bergen, New Jersey, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. Thank you, Blanca, for that report. Now in Virginia, record number of residents are voting early and requesting absentee ballots this year as the pandemic continues. More than 100,000 people have cast ballots in person since the early voting began on Friday. More than 884,000 people have requested absentee ballots. That's according to state election officials. More of you news after the short break. Imagine
imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And last month was the anniversary of the amendment that gave women the right to vote. And this November, our vote is more important than ever. Joining me now to talk about the power of the female vote is a true fighter, Marlene Esparza, the first American female boxer to qualify for the 2012 Olympics. Thank you so much for your time, Marlene. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. You have been competing in a male-dominated sport since you were a kid. What have you learned from female empowerment? I've just really learned that we can move really gracefully together and being being a female trying to change things or trying to make things different is not just about me anymore. It's a it's about every girl behind me or every girl next to me and I really just learned that it's it's time to be strong no matter what and that's really what it taught me how to be strong no matter what and really stick to what you want that's a powerful message now you returned to the ring shortly after giving birth and you were criticized for that decision what would you do this would you do the same thing over again if you had the chance I would. I would do it all over again. I feel like with everything, um, women, it's pro-choice. And I'm not going to discriminate against anybody who wants to stay out of work longer or maybe not go back to work at all. To me, that is just something that I wanted to do, to show women, to show girls behind me that as a Latina, that because you have a child, and no matter what what you do for a living, you know, my being, me being a professional athlete, that it doesn't have anything to do with your future. It's not going to change your future, stop your life. You can still be a mom and you can still continue doing what you need to do. And to me, that was the importance of the turnaround. And that's why I did it so quickly. Now, when was the first time you voted and how did you feel? I was 19 the first time I voted and I just remember I was feeling like an adult for one <laughs> and also really proud though um, one because I have the ability to vote and to me it's it's it was an honor to be like okay now I'm I'm getting to say how I feel and that's something that I really wanted to do just for me and for Latinas for the Hispanic culture and just as a woman in general. Now, what are the issues that matter to you during this election season? Uh, you know, to me, uh, the climate is one. Healthcare is major, and immigration. Those are the those are the things that I, I'm really worried about. Well, thank you so much for your time, Marlene Esparza, Olympic boxer. Thanks, thanks, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.